That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the greater life. And we've been looking at the life of Elisha, and we've seen that, that Elisha left his past behind to pursue God's greater vision for his life. And he did that at the invitation of the prophet of God, Elijah, who invited him to follow him. And so Elisha committed to living a, a, an intergenerational life as a spiritual father to others and, and, and as being a spiritual son to Elijah. And, and today we're going to pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 3. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to just turn to 2 Kings. Chapter 3, and we're going to jump right in to verse 9. And if, if you get a little lost as we're reading, it's okay, don't worry about it, we're going to catch you up. Verse 9 So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And after a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What? exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? And so here's the story. You have these three kings who've come together and their combined military might should have been more than enough to defeat the enemy, the king of Moab, in this military battle. I mean, this should have been a simple thing for them, but they run into a problem. They run into a problem. They're in the desert for seven days and they run out of water. And listen, they've been walking about around that desert for seven days. The, the, the king of Edom, he, it was his desert. He knew that land. They, they had a problem. They were out of water. And I, I wonder if that's happened to any of you this week, not running out of water. But having an easy plan, you started your day off and you had a plan and it was a simple agenda, something that you should have been able to accomplish pretty easily, but some, you ran into something, some type of difficulty that, that really it made it difficult, made it hard to accomplish what should have been easy. That happened to anybody this week? What happened to our three kings? Happened to our three kings, only their difficulty was a matter of life and death. They were out of water in the desert. And, and, and as they, after they'd walked around the desert seven days, they do what we often do when we come to a difficulty that we really can't solve. They, they decided, well, I'm going to look to God for some help. I need some divine intervention. And, and we do this. Have you ever said to yourself, well, all we can do now is pray, right? You ever said that? I think it's like God's up in heaven and he hears us say that and he's like, yes, finally. Like, I, I was hoping you'd pick me. Like, you know, I know I'm the last one to get picked, but put me in, coach. I'm gonna do my best, right? So they're looking for some divine intervention. And maybe that's what brought you to church today. Maybe the plan that you've had for your life, it, it's just not quite working out. And so you're here because you're looking for some divine intervention. That's where our three kings were. That's where our three kings were. See, a great need can be a good thing if it leads to a greater dependence on God in your life. Do you hear that? A great need can be a good thing if it leads to a greater dependence on God in your life. And listen, if you've been marching around an area of your life for seven days or 70 years, and it's dry there, it's dry emotionally, it's dry spiritually, it's dry relationally, it's dry financially, maybe it's time to look for some divine intervention. See, the greater life often starts not with a desperation for God, but with a desperation for a solution. Listen, the king of Israel, he was not looking for God. He was looking for water in the desert. And his need for a solution drove him to look for divine intervention. Pick it up with me again in verse 11. Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. 
And he used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Now, if if you know the story back in in chapter 2, God had taken Elijah off the earth in a fiery chariot. It's a chariot. It's a pretty cool story. Should should check it out. But Elijah was no longer on the earth. And so they're looking for a prophet of God. They don't really know his name. And and they're like, well, Elijah's not here anymore. Uh, But there's this guy, Elisha. And he's not like really the prophet, but he's at least poured water on Elijah's hands. You know, he's, he's kind of a prophet. You know, it's kind of like you guys feel like with me and Pastor Ron, right? So Jehoshaphat said, verse 12, the word of the Lord is with him. And so the king of Israel, or I'm sorry, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Now again, if you, to unpack the story a little bit, Elisha is saying to the king of Israel, hey look, your whole life you have followed the gods of your mother and your father. And Elisha, who'd followed Elijah for the last 10 years, he understood that the king of Israel, he, he was doing his own thing pursuing his own gods and the gods of his mommy and his daddy were actually uh, the, the prophets of his mommy and his daddy's gods where they were, had been in conflict with Elijah, the prophet of the one true God. And so Elisha's kind of like, what are you coming to me for? Go back to your mommy and daddy's gods. The king of Israel, verse 13, said no, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of Moab, which God never did. <laughs> you read the story, God never called the three of them together to deliver them into the hands of their enemy. Now, just, uh, just things, things back then were not that much different than they are today. What He's in a very difficult situation. He needs some divine intervention, and he's blaming God for his problem. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how little credit God gets when things are going well and how much blame he gets when things aren't quite working out? Well, that's where the king of Israel is. And he's desperate for rain, and he understood that only God could give him rain. And and that's how it is for us. When we are desperate for something that only God can give, we're ready for the greater life. And this is why the lowest point in our life can often be the place of a powerful new beginning with God. I was having coffee with a man in our church uh, this Wednesday. We were sitting at Starbucks, and I've been been hanging out with him on a regular basis. God brought him to Cornerstone. The first time I I ever heard from him, he wrote me a letter and said, I've always been pretty skeptical of church. I've never really cared for pastors. The first time I visited Cornerstone, Josh, I didn't really care for you, and, and but I came back. Why? Because I was at the lowest point in my life. My marriage of over 15 years had come to an end. I'd just been divorced. I'd lost my wife. I was was afraid of losing my daughters. I didn't know where else to turn. And so I I, I turned to God. He wasn't looking for God. He was looking for a solution. But you know what? He kept coming back. and, And not too long into his journey here with us at Cornerstone, he made a decision in a service just like this one to follow Jesus, to give his life over to Jesus. And can I just tell you, as I've been meeting with him on a weekly basis, it's been so incredible for me to see him discover God's greater plan for his life and begin to submit his his thoughts and his heart and his actions towards his ex-wife and towards his daughter and in his place of business. See God change his life. Uh, Can I just tell you, there is some reconciliation going on in their marriage relationship. I think one of these days, I'm gonna get to perform a remarriage ceremony. I'm really excited about that. He shared a text with me. You know what it said? It was from his, his ex-wife. And she said, you know, I'm beginning, I'm beginning to, to be grateful for our divorce. 
And here's why. Because if we would have never been divorced, you would have never met God. And, and you would have never brought me to God. And we would have never had our selfishness and our weakness exposed. And we would have never found this new beginning in our relationship. See, the lowest point in your life can also be the point of a great new beginning with God. See, she's learning that the greater life begins with the recognition that God alone is great. And then when you trust him with all your heart, with all your life, greater things are in store because he is with you, he is in you, and he is for you. Pick it up in verse 14. So Elisha said, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve. Now implied in that, again, you gotta remember, Elisha's being a little sarcastic. He's being a little disrespectful to the king of Israel. He says, according to the Lord God Almighty, whom I serve, implied in that as you don't serve him, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, who was a God-fearing king, I would not pay any attention to you. You're not even worth my time. I don't feel like prophesying. I don't feel like helping. But as a man of God, he was going to help anyways. Verse 15. Now bring me a musician. And in the King James, it's, he, he says, bring me a harpist. Now bring me a harpist. Now I don't know, does that sound weird to anybody else? I mean, here these guys have been wandering around in the desert for seven days. They're, they are ready to die of thirst with their armies. What should have been easy wasn't. And, he, and so they come to the prophet God and he's a little bit of a snot to them. He's, not, he's disrespectful. He says, I don't want to help, but I'm going to. And so you're like, okay, here we go. And then he asks for a harpist. <laughs> it, it, it seems like a weird request, but it's really not that, it's really not that weird. You know, what used, to, what used to happen, prophets, they, they would travel and they would have people who were trained, musicians who were trained to provide background music for when they prophesied. And that music, it, it, it didn't increase the presence of God. What it did was it increased the sensitivity in God's people to God's presence. You get that? And you know what? We do it here, don't we? In fact, could I have a harpist, Mark? All right, Mark's going to be our harpist. Thanks, man. Okay, so we do that here, right? You guys know how it goes. Get to the end of the, we get to the end of the talk. Pastor Ron brings it down. He, he fills in that last blank, and it's amazing. It's like magic. You guys know exactly what to do, right? Because nobody says anything. Nobody does anything other than just, it's like you don't even break eye contact. Eye contact. It's just like the, you know, the super ninja moves. You put everything away. You fold up your sermon notes. You stick them in the purse, you, you just, and you're just here, right? And the harpist begins to play. Why? To increase the, the presence of God? No, but to increase the sensitivity of God's people to his presence. So, and so maybe it's like you're coming to the end of a talk and you're, you're really trying to, we're, hey, what we want to do here at Cornerstone is we want to provide inspiration to you guys for your week. And so Pastor Ron, he's getting to the end or a few weeks ago, I, I was talking about um, the fact that your work matters. And, and so I was a little pumped up and I might say, you know, I, I might come to the end and I'm kind of just, I'm, I'm pumped up and I want to say, I want you to know that God is for you. I, I want you to know that you were created on purpose and with purpose and for a purpose that is greater than anything. I mean, I'm just going, right? And it's good truth and I've got energy and that works. But I want you to listen to it with the harpist, okay? Is with me? You just put your notes away. 
Oh, church, I want you to know that God has a plan for your life that is greater than anything you could create for yourself. God has created you on purpose and with purpose and for a purpose. Okay, is it better with the music? Sometimes we'll bring it down low, right? We'll be at the end of the service and we'll say something like, no, I don't know what you brought in the room this morning, but God knows and he cares and he is able to do good stuff, right? Good truth. But listen to it with the harpist. Now, I don't know what you brought into the room with you this morning. But God knows. And he cares. And he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask, think, or imagine. Isn't it better with the music? <laughs> I know it's a little bit of inside baseball this morning, but that's, preachers have been doing that for years, and that's what Elisha is doing, thanks to the harpist man. We'll see you again at the end of the service. But here, here's, Elisha says, okay, I'm going to do this, but I need me some mood, uh, mood music. I need me a harpist, so come on, harpist. And, and so look at verse 15. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said, thus says the Lord. Here it is. Make this valley full of ditches. Now, I don't think this is what those kings were wanting to hear. I think they wanted him to say, thus said the Lord, God is going to fix your problem. But instead of fixing their problem, Elisha handed them a shovel. Instead of providing them with words of hope and inspiration, instead of saying, God is going to make it rain, instead of saying, God is going to bless you financially, instead of saying, God is going to raise your children up to be world changers who love you and who respect you, in, in, instead of saying, God is going to give you that job that you've been praying for, you know, the one that pays twice as much with half the work. Instead of saying that, he said, make this valley full of dish ditches. See, they were looking for some big, inspiring statement to give them hope for their real-life problems, but instead, they were handed a shovel. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, yes, the greater life is full of inspiration, but it requires more than just inspiration. It requires participation, and it requires perspiration. Elisha said, you want your dream? You want your solution? You want your victory? Then dig a ditch. Elisha said, hey, king of Israel, you're coming looking for a solution, but God is not your shortcut to a solution. God is your solution. Listen, if we come to God 
If we come to God just for only the things he can give, listen, we don't get it. God's not our Santa Claus. No, God is a heavenly father who loves us and has greater plans for our life, but but plans that can only be realized when we live in connection with him. And if I come to God thinking that he's gonna do some miracle for me like a magic trick, I am gonna be disappointed because miracles aren't magic tricks. Miracles are the divine results of small steps of faith-filled preparation. And Elisha says, you want some rain? Dig a ditch. Elisha says, listen, you want God to bless your finances? Put him first. Be generous. Get yourself a, 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 a budget. <laughs> you want God to bless your family? Dig some ditches. Dads, start, start investing time in your kids centered around what interests them. Moms, stop, stop trying so hard to be their buddy and worrying about whether or not they like you and start digging the ditches of drawing godly boundaries in their life so they can grow up with character. You want God to bless your marriage? Learn to listen. Dig a ditch, put the remote down. You know, I, I was preaching, I'm preach, I always preach to myself. I got home last night and I DVR'd some college football and, and I, my wife had, had made, I've got like this ritual with, with buffalo wings on uh, Saturday nights and I, uh, all, both services last night, I wasn't thinking about what I was saying. I was thinking about those buffalo wings that were waiting for me at home and I got home and I got those wings and I got my blue cheese and my celery and I sat down on the couch and I, I started watching the game and Heidi came and she wanted to to talk to me about a text that she had sent our babysitter and then how she did a follow-up text to that because the first text she didn't want her to get mis- to, to be misunderstood and I was just kind of like would you stop talking to me about the text because I want to watch the football game but I want to I want I want a great marriage big dream when I put down the remote and listen to my spouse you want that promotion dig a ditch get to work early Start treating every stakeholder in your company like you want to be treated. See, it's good to be inspired. It's good to dream greater dreams for your life. But when the music stops playing and the inspiration stops flowing, that's where faith begins. Wouldn't it be great, folks? Wouldn't it be great if just you could call for a harpist at any point in your life? Wouldn't it be great if some of the inspiration that you get on a Sunday morning, you could just, you could just bottle it up and just uncork it, you know, uh, throughout the week. Like, ladies, you're at home and it's been a long day and you've got all the kids and, and, and they're finally in bed. You did the, the six drinks and the three bathroom trips per kid and, 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 and it was a tough day and the carpool, that lady you carpool with, and she, she had a sick kid and so you, she, she bailed on you and, and, and hubby got home and everybody re-engages in the family. 
and it's like nine o'clock at night and you're finally cleaning up in the kitchen and, and, and he's watching TV and he says something to you that just doesn't sit right and you're working really hard to respond in the right way, but, but you're, you're not sure if you can do it. Wouldn't it be great if at that moment you could just press the pause button and say, bring me a harpist. You'd be scrubbing that dish and Mark would come and he'd bring his keyboard and he'd start playing and you'd just get that inspiration. But that's not how it works, isn't it? That's not how it works. You're in that meeting at work and the boss, he, he's there and you give your idea and it's something you've been working on and you're so excited about how it's gonna move the organization forward and it gets shut down and you're sitting there and you're trying to figure out how to respond and how far to push and, 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 and how to get your paycheck and, and all those things. Wouldn't it be great in that moment if you could just be like, bring me the harpist? But that's not how it works. No, when the music stops playing and the inspiration stops flowing, that's when faith begins. See, faith, it isn't a state of mind. It's a course of action. And yes, yes, those kings would get their miracle, but first they got their work order. Before you ever see the first cloud in the sky, you've got to dig some ditches. And that's why James says, faith without works is dead. And a lot of people, they say, well, God's never moved in a greater way in my life. And they think, well, that's because God hasn't moved in a greater way in their life. But you know what I've learned? I've learned that if you don't move, God won't move. You hear that? If you have a greater dream for your life, if you don't move, God won't move. And I'm not saying that God needs us. I've just, I just know that throughout Scripture, God has always taken pleasure in seeing his people participate in their miracles. You remember the man with the withered hand? What did Jesus say? Stretch forth your hand. And as he stretched forth his hand, he was healed. You remember the blind man? God made mud. He spit in the dirt and he made mud and put it in his eyes. He said, go wash. And as he washed the mud from his eyes, he could see. You remember the, the feeding of the 5,000? Before Jesus ever broke the bread and the fish, he told the people to arrange themselves and be seated in groups. He wanted them to prepare to receive their miracle before he did the miracle in their life. Listen, God doesn't, want us, doesn't need us to dig ditches. He just wants us to move in our faith. And just in case you mistakenly think that God needs you to make the first move. No, no, no. Remember, God made the first move 2,000 years ago when he sent his one and only son to this earth to be a man and to live a human life. And Hebrews tells us that he knows, Jesus knows exactly what it is, every feeling that we feel as humans. And he lived his life without sin and then sacrificed his life on a cross to pay the penalty for my poor choices and your poor choices. And that was God's first move. And when Jesus came back to life and went back to heaven to prepare a place for those who accept him while they're on this earth, listen, God doesn't require us to accept that first move, that offering, but he's in heaven and he's made his move and he's up there saying, it's your move. And that's how we begin our relationship with him and that's how we continue in our relationship with him, Colossians 2.6. See, the difference between our faith and the faith of this world is this, we are preparing ourselves for something we already know we can't accomplish on our own. The greater life, it's not the life that the world dreams of. No, it's, it's, those are, there are things that we can only accomplish in connection with our relationship with God. 
When you prepare ahead of time, knowing that you are preparing yourself for something that you can't accomplish on your own, it creates a space for God to fill. And notice what Elisha doesn't say. He doesn't say, dig a ditch. He says, make this valley full of ditches. Listen, church, if we really believe that God is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do, we will be digging ditches in every area of our life, in our marriage relationship, in our relationship with our kids, in our careers, in our finances, in our community. We, we should be bringing in not shovels, but earth-moving equipment to dig ditches, to prepare for the greater work that God is gonna do in and through our lives. And so I wanna ask you as we close, did you see the harpist come? I want to ask you as we close, what small steps of preparation, what small steps and practical preparation is God asking you to make for the greater life that he wants you to live? What ditches is he asking you to dig? Listen, you want to reconcile that broken relationship? That's a big dream. And you can't do that overnight. But you know what you can do? You can make that phone call. You can make that apology. You can write that note. Small step, dig a ditch. You have a kid that has walked away from God. You have a kid that is stretching the boundaries, the limits of your patience with him or with her. You're not gonna get that kid back overnight, but you can begin to make small investments daily in relational investments with them that communicate that you care too much for them to let them go. Dig a ditch. What small steps of practical preparation is God asking you to do for those dreams that he has placed in you that inspire you? Will you bow your heads? Will you close your eyes? I want you to imagine for a moment that you're with the king of Israel back in the desert. You've been marching around for seven days. The ground is dry and crusty. It's the pitch black of night. And there is some young snot-nosed prophet of God and he has the nerve to hand you a shovel when you need a drink and to tell you to dig a ditch. What are you gonna do? The Bible doesn't record anything about the, the ditch digging that happened that night. It doesn't talk about the labor. It doesn't record the, the backbreaking work, the, the taste of the sweat in their mouth, the blisters on their hands. It doesn't record any of that. But in the morning, the valley is full of ditches. And listen to verse 20. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by the way of Edom and the land was filled with water. Listen, I don't think it talks about the toil in the night of digging ditches because I know that the joy that comes with the water in the morning is enough to wash away the sweat of digging ditches all night long. And we could spend 
hours and hours allowing people in this room to stand up and to talk about how when they dug ditches in faith, when they moved towards God, how he came through. Can I just tell you, if you are here this morning and you are in the dark of night and you are in a dry and thirsty land and you have begun to doubt God's greater plan for your life, can I just tell you as one of your pastors that God has come through for me time and time again. Don't stop digging. But I also need to be honest with you. I need to let you know there are some dreams that I believe God has for my life and I feel like I've been digging ditches in the desert for a long time and those ditches are still dry. I want you to know I'm going to keep on digging because that's faith. And I want to encourage you if there's something inside of you, that dream that God has placed in your life that can only be realized when you live in connection with him, listen, don't stop digging. And don't dig based on what you see. No, dig based upon what you know about a heavenly father who loves you and proved it by sending his son to die for you. And has a greater plan for your life. If you're already a follower of Jesus, I just wanna encourage you to spend some time with God thinking through those things right now. I wanna talk specifically to anybody who's in this room this morning and, and you have yet to respond to God's move of sending Jesus to pay the penalty of your sin. If you're here this morning and you would say, Josh, I've been living life on my own and, and for myself and I'm at a point of desperation and, and I, I don't want to try to do it on my own anymore. I came here looking for divine intervention, but I understand that it's not just some miracle in my life. I understand that it comes when I surrender my life to Jesus. And this morning, I want to become a follower of Jesus. I want to discover his greater plan for my life. I want to call him to be my Lord and Savior. Ask him to forgive Give me of my sins. If that's you this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, but if that's you this morning, would you put your hand up right now? Just put it up high. Awesome. I see it all over the room, in the back, in the front, in the corner. Man, awesome. Anybody in the balcony? Listen, yeah, I see that up there, guys. Hey, will you just pray this prayer with me? Lord, I know that you love me because you sent your son to die on the cross for me. And I believe that you have a greater plan for my life. And so today, I choose I choose to follow you with my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. 